Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Misaligned. This week I am here with Joe Urban from Take This to Heart Records. We're going to talk a bit about his label. He also works at a recording studio, so he kind of has all sides of the label process going on here. So Joe, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself real quick? Is there anything else you do besides those two things? I used to play in some bands, but other than, you know, I mainly just do the label in the studio right now. Nice. Well, why don't we just go ahead and dive into it? You mentioned being in bands before. So when did you really first get into music and the idea of kind of working in music, whether it be bands, recording, whatever? Well, I started booking, you know, local shows. I think the first show I ever booked was at VFW with this band called Big D and the Kids Table. Nice. And yeah, just a lot of ska bands. I was a ska kid growing up in, in high school. So I started booking shows and then eventually, actually first year of college, I took an entrepreneurship class and there was a venture capitalist forum where you could pitch ideas. And I actually started a record label right out of college and I kind of got in way over my head at 17. <laughs> so I put out a few releases, made the guy's money back from this venture capitalist guy who ran this big paving corporation in Massachusetts. I don't know how I, I did that. I gave a speech in front of like 500 people with checkered hair and, and Jinko jeans. <laughs> and somehow I was eloquent enough to have this guy believe in me. Nice. So was that when you started Take This to Heart or was that a different venture at first? That was Dirty Work Records. And um, I put out a few like local punk bands, a compilation with a bunch of drive through bands like Midtown and um, RX Bandits were on it. Just th- this was in like 2001. <laughs> Nice. So then how did that kind of progress into you starting Take This to Heart Records? Well, it started me actually started getting in, me into bands. I played in a band called Sonny, and our first bass player is actually Seth from Top Shelf. Okay, cool. So that that was weird. I, mean, Seth, I went to high school with Seth. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he lives like 10 minutes away. He played in a couple different bands with me. And I think I played on one of his – the first Top Shelf release I played guitar on, I think, two songs. I'm not sure. Something like that. <laughs> but that – yeah, that band broke up. I started this band, The Modern Day Saint. We got signed to Eyeball Records in 2004, five. Put out a record in 2006. Eyeball did uh, their first My Come Chromance, the first Thursday. They did Murder by Death, Number 12 Looks Like You. Some really cool stuff. Awesome. So being in bands, did that kind of naturally progress into you working at a recording studio? Since you mentioned you recorded a few songs for the first Top Shelf release, did you find that was kind of a natural transition for you? Yeah, I did. Other than that Top Shelf release, every band I've ever been in has recorded at Zing Studios, the one I currently work at. Um. Adam D from Killswitch, who works there, did my like my first band's first two records, and I've just never left the studio. That studio. So once I uh, my band broke up and I went back to school, I got you know I talked to the guys at the studio. I'm like, hey, can I you know work here and get some internship credit? 
and that internship turned, you know, five years later, I'm still there. They can't get rid of me. Nice. And when you were interning there, what were you, what did you start out doing and how did that kind of progress into you recording your own bands there? Well, I just started out doing, they never really had an intern as far as from the management end. Right. So I just started booking some bands, you know, taking care of emails, taking care of the phone, just networking and just bringing bigger, trying to bring in acts. And when I started, you know, booking up months and months of time, I think it literally took me about a month to get the job. Nice. That's not bad at all for an internship, you know. So where is the studio located and what are some of the big bands you've worked with? Um, It's located in Westfield, Mass, which is about 20 minutes from where I live. Zing has done A Day to Remember, Under Oath, Devil is Prada, Killswitch Engage, Under Oath. They did define the great line. Everything but drums, I think, Adam did there. So mostly metal, and they've done a handful of bands on my label. Uh, the producers there are Adam Duckowitz, Jim Fogarty, who is the owner, and he's kind of like my mentor. Nice. He's really super smart dude, really smart guy. He he started it in 1995, and it's us, you know, they're 21 years in business, which is pretty crazy for a recording studio. Yeah, definitely. So when your bands go to record there, are you kind of hands on with it, or do you basically leave it up to you know the producers and engineers and everything, or do you still kind of give some input here and there? I mean, I've produced one one record or helped, you know, with the songwriting just because I've been in bands. Right. But mixing mixing wise, tone wise, I, I let the producers handle it. They're much better at than that than me. <laughs> at that than me. Yeah, yeah. That that's how I felt when I interned at a recording studio in high school because I had a internship that I had to do in order to graduate high school, which for some people seems really crazy. But my high school I was in the tech program. So it's like most people were, you know, interning at Boeing and Raytheon and all these crazy companies. And I was just like, well, I'm just going to be over here at a recording studio. (laughs) So that internship kind of made me realize that once I got to Drexel and majored in music industry, I definitely did not want to do the tech track. So I went straight to the business side. And I mean, Drexel requires you to take some tech classes your freshman and sophomore years. But just from those classes alone, too, I was like, I do not have the patience for this because I would basically just sit on a little couch in the recording studio and help set up and tear down. So I did a whole lot of sitting around for my internship, which it's probably good that my high school didn't find that out. And I made it look like I did a lot more than I did. (laughs) (laughs) So because basically all I ended up doing was I would kind of fix up some drum kick drum or snare drums in Pro Tools and I would literally just sit there like my boss would pick out basically the best kick drum sound and then I would just copy and paste it over ones that weren't you know like as strong or something just so it sounded at least a little better. And I was like, I I could not do this all the time, (laughs) you know? So I definitely agree with you on leaving that sort of thing to people who actually enjoy doing it and know what they're doing. (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, I, I know a little bit about all of it. Obviously, I play guitar for, you know, 15, 20 years. But I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the tedious, just, you know, change, just mixing the way the way these guys just mix and just hear things that, you know, they'll A and B something like, I can't hear that, dude. Yeah, I know. Right now, I'm having the Verdu EP mixed for my label, Wreck-It Records, and my friend is working on it over in Nashville and she'll send back, you know, rough mixes and stuff. And then, you know, I let her know that for the most part, it sounded fine to me, except for maybe one or two things. And then the band would reply to the email and they would have like a whole list of things. And I was like, I didn't even hear most of that, <laughs> you know, so I totally understand. Yeah, I try to leave it up to the up to the band and, and just their, you know, their ultimately their vision I don't, I don't want to get in the way unless it's something I terribly, you know, I, f I feel against. Right. Yeah. That's kind of what I've been doing because for the most part, the bands I've worked with, they've kind of like corporate hearts. They recorded everything themselves. And the nice thing with working with them was that one of the brothers was so obsessed with making it sound perfect that he didn't want to basically let anyone else do the work anyway. So one, that saved me a ton of money. And two, I mean, it might have driven him crazy while he was working on it. But I think the end product sounded really good for, you know, the band doing it themselves. And it's only two brothers. Usually when, you, when people put their art in their own hands, they are just really, just really, I guess, anal about it. You know, right. they're not going to let any, any straight, anything go. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't think that was necessarily a bad thing. I thought it was pretty cool that, you know, they had the experience to be able, be able to just, you know, record this themselves at home. I mean, for those who don't know, Corporate Hearts is a band with just two acoustic guitars and two brothers singing. So it's not, you know, a whole lot of crazy production or anything. It's something you can definitely easily record at a house. You know, you don't necessarily need a studio to record drums and make them sound great and everything you could probably just set up a little space record in a closet you know <laughs> and you'll be good with acoustic guitars but yeah so why don't we go ahead and dive into your current label take this to heart records when did you decide to start that that was in two th early 2013 there's this local band to me, Arrows of Rathens, and there I wanted to bring. This was when I was bringing in bands to the studio, and I I decided to like dive into maybe the management part of it, and I couldn't find any leads on just getting them a label. So I talked to the band, and we like let me put this out. Let's I want to start a label. I've done I've done it before. I work at the studio. You know I've been in bands. I can kind of at least put this in a place where people are going to hear it. So I guess the first release was Arrows of Athens, the Atlas EP. Right. And from there, yeah, from there, I just found, you know, I found other bands that were friends of, friends of theirs, friends of mine. You know, uh, the singer, Arrows of Athens broke up. The singer in that band became uh, Traditions, which is definitely one of my favorite releases on the label. They should have some new stuff out this year, hopefully. Nice. You know, we put a four-way split, which No Tide was on, 
we put one song from No Tide, one song turned into EP, turned into a full length. And, you know, that's kind of how I, I feel like I sign my bands through other bands. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's definitely what happened, you know, with me. I started working with Verdu and then one of the guys actually helps out his friend who's a solo artist, Judd Cody Lyman, who I'm now working with as well. So basically what I did was I asked the bands, I was like, hey, do you guys know anyone else who might be interested in working with me? And I mean, it sounds like you've clearly had a lot more experience because I also started my label in 2013 and I've only had, what, like three releases come out since then? Because last year I didn't have anything come out at all because once I finished school, you know, I went, got a job and it's kind of like... The bands I had been working with either broke up or they kind of just wanted to do their own thing a bit and didn't like having deadlines, you know? So basically last year was when I kind of started looking for more bands and then Verdu started recording late in the year and Judd Cody Lyman's recording now. So you've clearly had way more releases than I have. So basically this episode is more so for me to pick your brain about how you do things and maybe I'll learn a few things because (laughs) I mean I'll email bands and stuff like that but it's pretty hit or miss whether or not you know they'll reply or even be interested I did have you know a couple bands that kind of wanted to do things that were just way out of my budget like they literally were like Well, it'll be like $6,000 for what we want to do. I was like, are you trying to make me have $0, (laughs) you know? So it's like with some bands, when you say you're a small label, sometimes they still think that means, you know, it's more than one person, which as you and I know, that's not always the case. So it's like if I'm funding this myself, I cannot spend all of my money on one band, you know? So... I kind of wanted to see if, you know, you being at a recording studio, do you think that's really helpful to getting some of your bands to record, you know, not necessarily dirt cheap, but at a lower rate than they would if they had to go somewhere else? Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, we've we've mixed albums from, you know, we mastered the, the new Home Movies EP, which actually came out on Animal Style. Um, we've done mixing for no tie we've recorded the full arrows of rathens the full traditions um mostly just helps out having that job and having a lot of cool bands record there i feel it gives you like clout like yeah. I'm like hey this you know i work here too and i've played in these bands that have done you know we did the warp tour and we did like stuff with bigger bands so just having that i guess in a conversation piece maybe makes it easier for bands to say hey all right maybe maybe he knows what he's doing putting this record out at at least in the beginning right and now i kind of have a grasp on or i guess you know i'm always learning and you always want to be learning at anything you do but i think i know i think i i kind of have a good feel of how to sell some records or at least get the songs out there for bands get them heard Right. And with your first release, did you automatically put that on vinyl or did you kind of start out doing CDs or digital only? I started out with a CD. CDs are pretty cheap to do. Just CD, digital. I think the fourth release 
was our my first vinyl release, and it was like a split seven inch. Then my fifth one was the Traditions, which was a five song twelve inch, which is kind of like the first like big release. It was in a nice, you know, the CDs were packaged super nice, and we got like Newberry Comics to start carrying our stuff, and uh, Ice Grills in Japan started carrying it. It's kind of kind of built. It's like that was the first release I spent a lot of money on. You know, when you're pressing, you know, vinyl CD, doing a full like press campaign for something. Right. Yeah. So for this Verdue EP, we're going to be pressing CDs from that uh, that place you actually recommended to me, the Easy Disc, I believe it was, because that's fairly local. So I can actually just you know go pick up the CDs and not have to pay fifty or eighty bucks to ship them which is nice because it definitely will not cost me that much in gas to go get the CDs. So thank oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> that place, you know, one, one band told me that, that they didn't get anything for like six months from that, from that place, but I've never had any problem. You know, I'll, I'll pick 10 days shipping and the, and the CDs will show up at my house in three days. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm pressing more than more, mo- most people. Yeah. But if you're if you're gonna press a thousand CDs, I would I would say what's that play? Disc makers. Yeah, yeah. Disc makers. If you're gonna press a thousand or more, if you're pressing less, I'd go Easy Disc, just because they will they won't kill you on the price if you're doing you know hundred or two hundred CDs. Yeah, I think we're shooting for three hundred, and when we did the quote, it was only like maybe four hundred bucks or so. So I was like, well, that's like less than half practically for whatever. Uh, disc makers wanted us to pay for them so definitely a good find and I'm hoping that since I'll be picking them up instead of having them shipped obviously there won't be any problems with anything getting lost in the mail you know I have had that happen not necessarily with CDs but like my final check from Palatin Pizza in Philadelphia just like never showed up so I had to like text or call my boss and be like so this never came (laughs) Uh, definitely not something you want to lose in the mail you know no so you mentioned that you basically find bands through other bands is it basically just that these bands have you know like played shows together toured together that sort of thing and they i've noticed like the bands you work with are definitely all very similar as far as genres go and everything and mine's kind of been a little all over the place so Right now, I mean, I'm I'm working with two indie rock bands, indie alt rock, you could say. But I feel like sometimes with those bands, you can't necessarily do vinyl just because it might not sell as well as, say, you know, the pop punk releases that you're doing and that sort of thing. Or record labels like Bad Timing, where they can, you know, press a thousand of something and it'll sell out, no questions. Yeah, I really decide... It's hard to decide and get a feel for how many to press or what kind of color variations to do. It, and, you know, is that band going to tour? You know, a lot of bands can, I've been pretty lucky with bands touring and being, you know, honest with me. And I guess that's really the most important part of being a small label. You're kind of like a psychologist. Right. And before, you know, and before you sign a band, you just need to know what they're doing, their home life, their personal life. It's just it's really important. Like the music's there, but to to go out and do something other than you know a digital or CD, you're spending thousands of dollars for vinyl. You're, or if I'm hiring a publicist on something, which is thousands of dollars, right? You know, you, you kind of need to know where it's at. 
But the best A&R people, I want to say like Scotty from Fossil Youth and, and Dylan from Home Movies. And he, I listen to every demo I get. Nice. So if I like something, I'm like, all right, I like this. First listen. You know, I'll throw it to a few people I trust their opinions on and get some feedback. Right. Because maybe I'm listening, you know, it's like 2 a.m. or I come home from a bar and I'm like a little bit buzzed and I'm listening to some music. Like I might like it more than I think I like it. Right. (laughs) Which is – it's weird to say, but I like to, you know, stew on something, sit on it. I'll play for Scotty. Scotty will tell me what he thinks or or Dylan or my friend over at at Network, Mark Mark Jordian, who I've known. We actually started a label with two before for like three releases, but that's – Side note. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a dog friend joining us for this podcast? I hear a lot of noise in the background. <laughs> yes, that's my dog, Scout. She is the label dog. Nice. She, she was napping and now she woke up and I'm petting her to make sure she doesn't move. <laughs> well, we will definitely keep all of the collar shaking noises in, you know, <laughs> so everyone can know a dog attended the podcast recording. So you mentioned, you know, paying for a publicist and we had talked previously and you were in talks with working with Raby. How has that been going and what was the process like to get them on board for the label basically? Oh man, that was Raby has done some crazy things. If you go to their site that, you know, they run dashboard confessional, get up kids. They broke the front bottoms. Um, I played, um, well first it, First, I, I, I got this record from this band, The Other Stars, which we announced yesterday. Right. So I can talk about, I can talk about it. Um, I played it for my friend at Good Fight, who immediately loved it. We had like a conference call with a band and him and some agent, which is, I guess the agent's not on the books yet, but probably shouldn't talk about that. <laughs> so, All good. So, so they, they were signed with Good Fight. Christian at Good Fight got it over to Raby. Uh, Ray and Gary at Raby loved it. So, two phone calls later, and they're working the record. Nice, which is insane. It's just it's it's pretty quickly. I've worked with you know Brixton before on the Sundress release, and Brixton's fantastic too. Yeah, but yeah, deciding a publicist and where and you know where you see the band or I or do you know sometimes I think do I even need a publicist? I do a lot of stuff in house. And I get pretty decent features, and I, I try I work hard for the reviews and just any type of press. Yeah, definitely. And those are things, obviously, you need to set up in advance. So roughly how far ahead of time do you have releases completed and everything before you're actually setting a release date and everything? Is it like, you know, a month, two months, or what? I like to have to do if I'm doing vinyl and if we're doing, you know, something with a PR company, they want it, you know, three months in advance if they're going for something in print. Right. Um, if I'm doing it myself, I like to have at least 60 days just to have it in hand and to stew on it, to shop it around for some features. You know, the, the initial, you know, first single premiere where a video is going to go, where the album stream is going to go if it's in you know a full length where the other single is going to go and just and just map it out and see what other types of you know things like little elephant i've you know has helped me out and they've done you know four of my bands just different types of content yeah you know 
certain content tent poles along this 18 month timeline that we create for each band or I create. Right. Yeah. I know when I first started Wreck It Records, you know, the first couple bands or artists I was working with, one had sent me something the day before he wanted to release it. And I was like, so do you not want press done for this? And he was like, no, I guess not. <laughs> I was like, all right, then. <laughs> like, what was the point of that? You know, because it would have been obviously better to get the word out about it because there was just no way that I was going to have something one day and have an entire press plan ready by the next day or have anyone posting about it by the next day, you know. So I've been trying to get better with, you know, communicating to bands that, hey, we actually need to plan this kind of before you even go into the studio to start recording and just give ourselves a general timeline and if that ends up shifting, like for Verdu, it definitely did. I think we were initially planning on doing the release. I believe it was February and now it's March and I'm still, you know, waiting for masters to come through. And obviously we probably won't be getting it out until at least later in April because, you know, with the size of the bands I'm working with, they're obviously not as popular as some of the bands you're working with. So I feel like that kind of also determines really how much time you'll need. Because if you're mainly looking to just get stuff into local publications, you know, like out here we have LA Weekly, Orange County Register, that sort of thing. So if you're shooting for those kind of publications or just their online sites, you know, I feel like you don't necessarily need three three months ahead of time. So right now it's looking like I'll have stuff maybe a month ahead of time if I'm lucky, maybe a few weeks, you know, so it's kind of hard when things get delayed and you still want to get it out because we did say early 2016. So I feel like any time after, you know, April is really not early 2016 at all. <laughs> It's like spring 2016. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every every band and every band, every band and every release is very unique. You, you kind of need to cater your plans around them and what they're doing and just where where it fits. You know, some bands just because I like them doesn't mean I think they're the most commercially viable thing. Right. And I don't know if you had experienced this at all when you first started the label and it was just you. Or it probably it is still just you, right? Just me. <laughs> I I know that sometimes, like when I email bands, they, I guess it comes off across as the label is you know a few people at least, or like this actual company with an office and everything, which is not you know my intentions because it's not that. So then it's like they kind of have high way higher expectations then I can, you know, do for them. And I feel like that sometimes makes it difficult to find, you know, the right bands to work with. You obviously have had more experience with bigger bands, you know, Sundressed got quite a lot of press and, you know, attention for their last couple of releases. I know personally, I enjoyed them. And as on our previous episode with Jesse Richmond, he also enjoys the band very much. 
So do you think it's sometimes harder when it's just a single person running a label to kind of convince bands to work with you and to kind of do things within a much smaller budget than they, you know, would have, say, on Top Shelf or Bad Timing or that sort of thing? I mean, it's it's definitely tough to con- convince a band or sell them on the label. But I try to be pretty transparent in what's going in what's going on, what we can do and we can't do. Right. Um. Yeah. With with Sundrest, we literally um they put out Sundrest was really weird. They put out one song on um one song like Absolute Punk. I heard it. I loved it. I started talking to Trevor from Sundrest on Twitter. You know, I, I liked his band on Twitter. We started talking and he loved Bright Eyes like in like Desperate Cheetos as much as I did. And I was like, hey, is this album coming out on vinyl? He's like, it's not. So I'm like, I would love to do this. And then he was managed. They're managed by a Danny at Working Group Management. Right. Who's So I'm like, all right, I'm going to put this on vinyl, but I need to do another release. You know, then it's just stupid contract and discussions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is which can be with a manager it's it's tough they want they want to make sure they retain everything they need to retain and they don't want a any small label to hold them down from going somewhere big which i'm fine with i want my bands to you know move on if i can't if they're getting if the band's too big for the label let's uh let's work something out and move them up somewhere and that might be happening with you know a couple of my bands which would be great yeah and that like the CD run for Verdu is going to be the first physical release I've done. So I feel like, you know, just doing pay what you want Bandcamp releases before wasn't exactly, you know, something that was going to make my label a ton of money. And I knew that going into this because, you know, I started it as my senior project at Drexel. So for those first three artists I worked with, I wasn't expecting to make a ton of money and that sort of thing. But it seems like now a lot of bands want to do vinyl releases and everything. And some of them might not always have a realistic idea of how many records they should be pressing or, you know, what they'd be able to sell. And I've had to tell bands, I'm like, that's just like way too much. You want to spend $5,000 or so just to record and then you still want me to pay for vinyl on top of that. I was like, I'm I'm just one person. And especially right now, since I'm in between jobs, as most of you who are listening already know this because I've mentioned it a time or two now, but it's like, I only have a limited amount of money. It's not like this is something that's making me tens of thousands of dollars that I can just pour a bunch of money into one band and one release. So that's kind of why I've shied away from doing physical releases or especially vinyl releases up until now. I feel like some bands, their fan bases just aren't big enough to be doing vinyl releases at this time. So that's kind of why I've wanted to start, you know, with digital and see how well that sells. And if, you know, I'm making 50 bucks off of a digital release, obviously doing a physical release is probably not the best idea for the bands, you know? Yeah. That's, that's scary. If you're pressing, you know, 500 vinyl for a few thousand dollars and you're only selling 50 copies, uh, that's, that's upsetting. Right. 
and, because I said, you know, you just lost two grand. Yeah. And that's what, and you have to have digital rights too. a lot of bands. You need to have that supplemental income from, you know, your Spotify or iTunes. If you're going to risk prep, especially for a band that with no track record of selling records. Right. If, if, uh, you know, like if Bayside came to me like, yeah, you know, let's do this deal and you only get vinyl. I'd be like, okay, because they'll sell 5,000 copies of vinyl. Right. <laughs> if, it, you know, most bands, I feel, I'm, I sign bands and I press 500 of each copy. Right. If I, if I can sell 200, then I'm getting close to making the money back. And everything's 50 50. If I'm, once I make my money back from whatever I'm spending, whether it's press or advertising, vinyl, CD, cassette, we just split a just we're just a 50/50 label. Yeah, and I mean right now I'm doing 70/30 where 70 goes to the band, especially on the releases that were digital only. But for this since we're pressing CDs, obviously it's a if I make all of the money back on, you know, what I spent on mixing and mastering and the CDs, then it'll be the 70/30 split and the band was totally fine with that especially since, you know, their last release, they did CDs themselves and paid for everything themselves. So I'm sure they understand, you know, wanting to at least try to break even on this. So I'm hoping with this release, it'll definitely be a test for myself because I really want to, you know, sell out the 250 CDs that we're going to be selling because I think we've allotted around 50 for you know, press reasons, sending them to radio stations and that sort of thing, which is always something you have to account for when you're doing, you know, the spreadsheets and everything of how you're going to break even. But when you first started, did you find it easier to work with people you already knew in bands? Or do you find it's easier to work with bands who maybe you aren't familiar with and you don't know any of the band members or that sort of thing? You know, I found it's easier to work with people that you, you don't know on a personal level right? because it's, it's just more business focused. Yeah. And obviously I feel there's always one point person in a band, whether, you know, like Trevor from Sundress or Sky from Foster Youth there, or, or Will from No Tide or, or Randy from Traditions. There's always one guy where I'm talking to one of these guys every single day. You know, I have about eight, eight bands where I'm talking to one person every day. Whether it's about music related stuff or business or what the band's doing or just, you know, sending really weird memes to each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you get this bond and it's easier to start off not knowing them when you can get the business done and take care of just the numbers. I hate I hate telling a band like, hey, you guys owe me this much money when. <laughs> it's it just, it's the worst part of doing a label. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you're like, "Hey guys, uh, this is this is what we spent. This is what you owe." Right. Or just you know, yeah, it's it's not fun. But some band like Fossil Youth is about to sell out of their first EP, and I'm gonna have to press it again on vinyl. Nice. And we're talking about like what kind of cool colors can we do? That's that's fun. Like Sundress is gonna sell out of uh, one one of them too. The first one we did. And th those are just fun conversations when some, you know, s some bands don't sell as well as others. And it's always like, yep, you guys still owe me money. So I can't really do this for you. I hate saying no to something when it costs money. Like, yeah. oh, we can't do this. We can't do this advertising campaign or this isn't going to work out because you're X amount in debt 
And right now it's not smart for me to do. Right. Yeah. And since I'm only working with the two bands right now and they're both, you know, in the recording, mixing, mastering process, I'm like, crap, I need to find other bands to work with if I want to get anything out later this year. So that's something I'm definitely planning on, you know, working on soon. I'm likely just going to look for, you know, local bands in the Orange County, LA area, because as I'm sure most people know, LA is full of unsigned bands. You could probably walk down the street and just run into like 20 of them. (laughs) So I'm hoping I can sort of find some more bands to work with this year. And it seems like you always have your plate full pretty much with releases and everything. So how do you know when it's time to kind of start looking for new bands to work with? Uh, I, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I never do some, um, last summer I got in over my head with releases. I, I did no tide deadlies fell into my lap. It was both, uh, the EP and a split sundressed one, their EP to come out. They did EP in April and they did an EP in September, October, which I didn't even think was going to happen. Trevor calls me up like, hey, man, we have four more songs. Can we do this? Right. And, and, I, just really, and I just heard the songs. He sent me some acoustic demos. And I thought, yes, we have to do this. We have to do this. And we uh, that's when I, I pitched it to Brixton. And Brixton picked it up for PR. And they, you know, they got on a tour. They're, they have a really cool tour coming up, too, in the spring, which I'm excited for. Right. And before you kind of contacted Brixton and started to talk with Raby, how did you get the word out about your bands before, you know, they had publicists or anything? I was the publicist. Okay. You know, I just built press contacts and, and just worked on, um, just the campaign myself, worked on every feature review you're just really on your phone or computer nonstop, making sure you treat every single person like you want to be treated, which is right. just kind of rules to live by. I answer, I try to answer every email, every demo from band, every press, you know, if, just because a site only has like 120 likes doesn't mean I'm not going to give them my, you know, undivided attention when they're asking for, oh, can we review this album? And, you know, I just talk to anyone. Right. It's important at any size label, I feel at least. Yeah, and that's something I definitely understand because I do the label and then I also have my website, Hi-Fi Noise. And, you know, being a smaller site, it's sometimes it's kind of hard to get people to want to let you on their press list and that sort of thing. Or, you know, with smaller sites, people are more wary of sending out review copies or advances of albums ahead of time. Because they're like not sure if you're going to be that person who leaks everything, you know, <laughs> which right. I, of course, I would never do. But it's like someone who doesn't know me wouldn't necessarily know that right off the bat. So I think that's sort of helping me kind of understand more what I have to do with my bands for press. You know, I've been following writers on Twitter and trying to talk to writers about things that aren't just my bands. You know, like talk to them about, hey, what podcasts are you listening to? What new music is good that you're digging? That sort of thing. And kind of 
build relationships with writers. And I mean, I'm starting out with some smaller sites like mine, like, you know, 36 Vultures is a newer site since Property of Zach decided to not be a site anymore. (laughs) So it's definitely a process, but I feel like that's something I have to keep working on and building those contacts and everything, even just to get to, you know, the level you're at even though we both, you know, run smaller labels and that sort of thing. I feel like I still have a ton of work to do on it just to kind of give more attention to not only my bands, but the label, because personally, I don't really get a ton of people hitting me up to, you know, be on the label or that sort of thing. So do you find yourself listening to mixes from bands just from them, you know, emailing you, hitting you up, being like, hey, I really like your label. I would love to work with you. Yeah, I mean, I'll listen to those emails. The ones, if I just want bands or managers to write a proper email to me, and some of them are like, hey, we need $7,000 to record this album, and it'll be really beneficial to you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I probably don't want to, I'm going to listen to your music no matter what. Right. But I'm probably going to be pretty angry listening to it. Yeah. Like, I don't think Pure Noise is even going to give you $7,000 on your first record. Right. And they're a much bigger <laughs> or, label. Yeah. Or a band's like, hey, we're talking, to, we're talking to Hopeless Records, but we like you guys, so you should jump on board right now. <laughs> it's like, nah, no, Hopeless can have you guys. <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing is, the band The Other Stars, they sent me an email. I, I think I follow them on Instagram. They, they're, the singer sent me an email. And he didn't send music with it. He's like, oh, you follow us on Instagram. Do you like us? <laughs> and I, I, didn't, I didn't respond to that. Right. But I asked a friend who, Richard Collier, who books shows in Boston, like, hey, is there any cool bands in Boston? I, I mean, I'd love to have a local band on label. And he sent me a list of bands. I checked them all out. And the other stars is one of them. And their album was freaking amazing, this album we're putting out right now. Right. So... I listened to it, loved it, started writing an email, and the email address filled out itself. So I'm like, I've talked to these guys before? <laughs> yeah. And it, and, it was, <laughs> and, it, and it was a horrible email. So they just got really lucky that I, uh, that I just even listened and responded. I mean, their album was great. Right. Just, uh, they're, they're just a bunch of talented musicians, songwriters that only focus on the music part, which is great. They never really had a uh, or music business sense, per se. Definitely. Well, where do you see Take This to Heart going kind of just for the rest of the year? I know a lot of people are like, where do you see yourself in five years and that sort of thing? But I know you have quite a bit lined up. Like you mentioned, you just announced the other stars release. Do you have other releases already planned for, you know, summer, fall, winter for the rest of the year? Um, right now, I have... The Other Stars is going to have two releases this year. They're going to hit the studio with a really good engineer. They're going to record a full length. And that might be out this year, early next year. That's kind of on the plate already. Right. Um, Locket, this band, awesome post, like hardcore post-punk band from Texas, releasing that on May 13th. Um, you're going to get New Traditions. Uh, I'm doing, I have a label booth at Warp Tour for like the Northeast States. Nice. Which is always interesting. They, they approve me for that stuff. 
it's always tough doing it by no I'm not gonna do, be by myself. My friend Elena is gonna do it with me. That's cool. Uh, what else do I have going on? Well, Sundress and Fossil Youth both have full lengths that Fossil Youth just finished theirs. I don't know if I'm gonna put it out. If I don't put it out, that's a good thing because someone really big is putting it out. Right. <laughs> Same thing with Sundressed. So I'm kind of keeping keeping spaces open. I have a couple really good demo albums from bands that I might work with. It's just tough when people say, um, the release date's gonna be March 23rd. Do you want to put it out? First off, if we're gonna work together, you can't set the release date because there needs to be way there's so many more other moving parts to work around. Yeah. <laughs> when bands send you their release date and the music, like, and they're just going to put it out whenever they want. Well, you don't really need a label to do it that way. Right. Well, I think that about covers it for, you know, picking your brain about your label. This is definitely very helpful, helpful for me. So hopefully anyone else who is running a label or maybe interested in starting one, this should be a helpful conversation for them. But before we go, other than releases on your label, what are some things you're looking forward to for the rest of 2016? Obligatory brand new. <laughs> of course. Brand new. Um, that Modern Baseball album is really, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. When I heard it, it was a split album with five, like five or six songs from each songwriter. Yeah. I don't know. It's not. It's gonna feel. I don't know how I think about it, but that's on my radar. <laughs> I'm just really confused because all those guys play in different bands, also. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder how much time they put into the the modern baseball stuff, but that band's great. Then Pine Grove is absolutely my favorite album right now. I saw them in uh, Worcester at the shop. That was great. Like they're just a fantastic band. That band's gonna blow up. Nice. Yeah, and I had gone to Drexel with you know two of the guys in modern baseball and they definitely do put a ton of work into their band but at drexel for anyone who played an instrument being in more than one band was like a thing there because you know there were maybe three drummers that were really great so then everyone wanted to have you know those three drummers in their bands basically <laughs> so it's Definitely a little crazy trying to keep track of all those bands that came out of Drexel sometimes because you're like, wait, which which bands are you guys in? You're in four uh, bands? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to... Uh, I don't know what else is coming out this year. Hotelier? Yeah, that'll be good. I'm hoping for Frank Ocean. Frank Ocean, okay. That'll probably be out. You're putting me on the spot, I wonder. <laughs> I mean, I can pull up what I've been listening to. Oh, that new uh, intro over it is great. Yes, that is out tomorrow. We're recording this on March 10th. So by the time you guys hear this, it will be out and you should go listen to it, even though I've already recommended it on the previous episode of Misaligned. Okay, quick, quick, awesome story. Anthony J. Sanders on Near Mint. He's putting out an album. That is, I've heard some unfinished stuff and it's, he is... He just puts out songs and songs and songs. I think he plays in Island of Misfit Toys. I want to say he sings in that band. Oh, okay. It's that Broken World. Near Mint's putting on this album, and Corey from Near Mint sold me on this guy. The We had a conversation. I listened to the first, like, a rough mix. I'm like, oh, this recording sucks. And, he <laughs> kind of, and, 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 and Corey gave me this 
recording Alita's speech, and he was really right. I kept on listening to the music, and it won me over. We we had the internet yelling fight. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Near Mint has been putting out some really good stuff lately. That Rocky Votolato EP is fantastic. Yeah, Near Mint's doing the cas- a cassette uh, exclusive for the other stars, too. Nice. So those guys are awesome people, and I'm I'm excited to work with them on something. Yeah. Well, you know, if I find any pop punk, punk bands anytime soon, maybe we can do a split or something. Figure that out. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call these bands pop punk. I feel, I feel pop punk is such an evil term these days. Yeah, I I'm just too lazy to like get into the very detailed genres because you know, like Sundrest and Fossil Youth are pretty much pop punk bands by the general standard there but i know you mentioned you know locket kind of post-hardcore that sort of thing but if i get any bands that you know fit well with your label we should definitely set something up because i don't think my indie alt-rock bands would be quite the fit you know yeah (laughs) might be a a very strange split if we did that I'm always, if I like it, I'm down for anything. Awesome. Well, I will have to get to work on getting some more bands, though. Everyone listening, if you know anyone who's interested, my Twitter will be in the show notes. Send things my way. And if anyone needs press, I'm also going to start doing press fairly cheap for bands. So you can hit me up about that as well. But anyway, thank you for coming on today, Joe. Thank you for letting me pick your brain, which I'm sure I will do over Facebook Messenger a ton more (laughs) times after this. So, yes. So thank you again. And we hope the rest of you all enjoy your day.